Grace to you and peace from the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Today we are finishing our sermon series based on a study of St. Paul's letter to the, book of, letter to the Romans. Uh, we've been operating under the theme, A Power-Packed Life, as St. Paul has written so much about the power that is ours through our faith in Christ Jesus. The book of Romans as you probably are aware now, is 16 chapters long. Uh, We uh, have covered the first 13 of those 16 chapters. Chapters 1 through 11 talked about the basic fundamental teachings of the Christian faith. and covered such things as justification, being declared not guilty through faith in Christ, redemption, our salvation through the blood of Jesus, sanctification, our growth in our Christian faith. Well, the final chapters of the book of Romans take those teachings and then talk about their practical application, how we live out that faith as followers of Jesus. Now, I should say that the very last one and a half chapters of this letter are really Paul's conclusion and personal greetings. We're not going to study that last one and a half chapters. I encourage you to read them on your own this week because in that last one and a half chapters, Paul expresses his desire to visit the people in Rome and then he lists a whole lot of different people that were in the church of Rome, including some of Paul's own relatives. So you may want to read that last chapter and a half starting at uh, chapter 15, verse 14 and going to the end of the book. But for today's purposes, we're going to finish that part of the letter which is uh, Paul's content, his, his teachings. And so we're going to cover chapter 14 and the first half of chapter 15. It's a rather, rather lengthy section. If you would like to follow along, I encourage you to take out the Pew Rack Bible and turn to page 1765. We'll start there on chapter 14 of the book of Romans. As Paul finishes this last of the teaching sections of this letter, he covers an important topic. He talks about weak Christians and strong Christians and how they are to relate to each other. By a weak Christian, it might refer to uh, perhaps someone who is new to the faith and therefore has had less time to grow in that faith and are less mature in their understandings of the teachings of God. Whereas the strong Christian is the more mature in the faith, has had more opportunity to grow deeper in their walk with Christ. And as Paul addresses this subject of weak and strong Christians, he does it in the context of what we might call matters of adiaphora, matters of adiaphora. That's a word that basically means indifferent things. Matters of adiaphora are those things that are neither commanded in the scriptures nor forbidden in the scriptures. Topics within the church that are not addressed directly by the Bible. And how do we deal with those kinds of matters when one person might think one way about them and another believer might think another way? These are things that are not necessarily essential to the faith, but they are permissible within the faith. 
And they may include both ancient and modern traditions. And there's nothing wrong with traditions, but they're not mandated in Scripture. As well as matters of personal preference. One person might like to do things such and such a way within the church, while another person would have a different way of doing things. Paul refers to these things as, quote, disputable matters in the first verse of our text. Now, the weak Christian, when it comes to these matters of adiaphora, might insist that a certain practice be followed, which is actually a matter of adiaphora, which the Bible doesn't speak about. But a weaker Christian might be of the opinion that, no, this is something we must do as Christians. Whereas the stronger Christian would, say, would recognize that under the gospel of Jesus, there is freedom when it comes to these matters of adiaphora. That there isn't just one way of doing things. And so, as you can well imagine, sometimes tensions can arise within the church. It's true today as well as it was all the way back in Paul's day in the Roman church. And so Paul addresses this topic, and I think it's a helpful one for us to address as well. In chapter 1 of verse, of cha uh, verse 1 of chapter 14, excuse me, Paul says this, Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. There's the term, disputable matters. In other words, he starts off by basically saying Christians are not to condemn each other if they hold differing views on these matters of adiaphora, things that the Bible doesn't specifically address. But because it can be kind of challenging when people hold differing views, we need to ask the question, how do we navigate these potentially rough waters within the life of the church? Well, as we go through this uh, one and a half chapters in Romans, Paul brings out three important principles I want us to highlight today. And principle number one on this is this. Avoid judgment and condescension. Avoid judgment and condescension when it comes to these matters of adiaphora. In other words, the temptation for the weak Christian who is absolutely convinced that you must do this thing to be a true Christian, the temptation is for that person to judge the others as being somehow less than authentic Christians because they're not doing that the way, the way we do it. The temptation for the strong or mature Christian who understands these matters of adiaphora are not regulated in the Bible, the temptation is to look down upon the weaker Christian and consider them as somehow less than a true Christian because of their immaturity. In Paul's day, here were the issues that were going on. In Paul's day in the Roman church, and in other churches that Paul addressed, some people felt that there were certain foods that Christians should not eat. For example, some felt that when meat had been offered as a sacrifice to pagan idols, that somehow that meat was now stained and Christians should not eat that meat that had been offered to pagan idols. That somehow it would defile the Christian. 
Others felt on, on relation to foods were convinced that there were certain foods that were unclean to eat according to the Old Testament and therefore Christians could not in their good conscience eat those meats and those foods that were considered unclean back in Old Testament times. But you see, the, the other more mature Christians, the, the strong Christians, felt that the gospel had set them free from such regulations. That with the coming of Jesus Christ, for example, the Old Testament ceremonial laws were fulfilled in Him and were no longer under the obligation to observe the dietary rules that we find in the Old Testament. And therefore, all food is free to eat. The mature Christian had the view that food offered to idols is still food that God has provided and and can nourish our bodies. Another issue going on was that some people felt that certain days of the year were more special, more sacred than other days, and therefore should be observed in a higher manner than other days, while others felt that every day was the same, and that every day of the year should be celebrated and dedicated to the Lord in His honor. Well, how does Paul navigate all of that? What does he say to the Romans? Let's take a look at the first section. And again, principle number one that applies to this first section is this. Avoid judgment and condescension. Follow along with me. Chapter 14, starting at verse 2. He says, One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not. And the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does. For God has accepted him. You see the principle at work there. On the one hand, don't judge the other. On the other hand, don't look down on the other. He goes on, Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. And he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. The focus there, of course, is on what really matters, focusing on living for the Lord. He goes on, For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother? He's saying that to the weaker Christian. And to the strong Christian, he says, or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. All right, we'll pause there for a moment. 
First of all, let's be clear about what Paul is saying. Keep in mind, Paul is talking about matters where God and his word are silent. Where there's no clear, definitive statement about that topic. For we need to say that where God does speak, we must uphold his word. We must say everything God says. Thus saith the Lord needs to be communicated very clearly. But when he is silent, we may indeed differ. It's true in the church today as well. There are things we differ on as Christians on these non-essential matters. I remember a number of years ago, a church that was all in a broil over what color carpet to put down in the church sanctuary. And some were arguing very piously that this color was more liturgically correct than the other color, and it just got ridiculous. Really? Is that what really matters? We may differ. There are matters of adiaphora in the church today. And one of those is the way or the style in which someone worships. There are some people who like to worship God. That includes raising their hands during the worship service in praise to God. And for them, that's very meaningful. There are others who would be very uncomfortable doing that. Is one right or wrong? No. It's how each one desires to express their praise to God. And whatever you, however you feel about that is fine. But we should not judge one another. We should not look down on one another. We should be joyously praising God in whatever way our heart is comfortable with. Likewise, there are different styles of worship. Here at Shepherd of the Desert, you know that all too well, on our two campuses, we have seven different worship services during the week, five different styles of worship. We believe in variety, and the Bible doesn't specify how the worship service should be carried out. And different styles address different people's needs. As long as worship doesn't detract away from God's Word and the truth of the Gospel, the word and the sacraments are central to it, then worship style can vary. It's a matter of adiaphora. And so the principle, the first principle is important, that we need to avoid judgment and condescension when it comes to these matters. Principle number two comes out in the next section of Paul's letter, and the principle is this. Practice love and concern for each other's well-being. Practice love and concern for each other's well-being. You know, in, in all of these matters where the Bible doesn't speak, we need to let Christian love be the guiding principle in how we treat each other. The principle in everything that we do. This is the way Paul says it, starting with verse 13 and then spilling over into chapter 15. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. And now he goes on, instead, aha, instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. But... If anyone regards something as unclean, 
then for him it is unclean. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy your brother for whom Christ died. You see the principle of love at work here. Do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. Let us, therefore, make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. That's what it's about. Building up one another in love. He goes on. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean. But it is wrong for a man to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother to fall. So, whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the man who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But the man who has doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. So we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please his neighbor for his good, to build him up, for even Christ did not please himself. He says it so beautifully, so succinctly, that we might very well have the right to do something, but it may not be what is the most loving thing for the sake of our brother or sister. We need to practice love and concern for each other's well-being. When I was in college, I had a, a friend, a buddy, who um, I came to the awareness of that he had a drinking problem, a problem with alcohol, which persisted in his years after college. We ended up kind of losing touch with each other for quite a few years, and then within the last, I would say, seven years or so, we reconnected. And... I was so pleased to find out that my good friend has been sober for more than 20 years. He's overcome this problem. But a few years ago, there was a reunion of our college buddies, and we got together, and there was a party at one of our friend's house, and beer was available. But I thought about my friend. I wondered how he was doing spiritually. So I went to him privately, and I said, Hey, would it be offensive and a problem for you if I were to drink a beer at this party. And he said, Alan, no, it would not be a problem at all. Uh, God has given me sobriety, and I am well on the path of being able to handle that. I want you to have a good time, enjoy the party. But see, it was a matter of his well-being that I was concerned about. I didn't want what I did to cause him to stumble. That's the kind of love and concern that Paul is talking about looking out for each other, even if we have the right to do something. Martin Luther wrote about this in a very important work that he wrote in the year 1520. It was called The Freedom of a Christian. And in the course of that book, he wrote these two phrases that initially sound contradictory, but in fact, both of them stand as true. So it's a paradox. They both are true. Listen to what Luther said. 
A Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to no one. A Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. What's he saying there? That under the gospel, on the one hand, we are free to live out our faith in in various ways, especially when it comes to these matters of adiaphora. But at the same time, out of love for my brother and sister, I am their servant. And I ought to see myself as subject to them so that I do nothing that would lead them astray. You see, the, the key to all of this is living our lives for God. Living our lives for God. Because when you seek to honor God in everything, then you're going to want to practice love toward other people, especially toward your own brothers and sisters Christ. That's the power of living for God, is that it enables you then to live a life of love toward others. It transforms how you view other people and, and how you treat other people. Love becomes our standard way of operating. And of course, all of that is motivated by God's love for us in Christ Jesus. Now that brings us to the third and final principle here in the, in the book of Romans. And now the last principle I've worded this way. Keep the main thing, the main thing, our hope in Christ. The main thing about our faith is our hope in Jesus Christ, our Savior. And that leads us then to Paul's final teachings in this beautiful letter to the Romans. We're in chapter 15 at verse 4. Listen to what he says. Everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. The Bible was written down primarily to give us the assurance of our salvation that we might have true hope. And we've talked several times about that word hope, that it doesn't mean a mere wish, but it's an absolute certainty about the future. That because of what God has accomplished for us in Christ Jesus, we have hope that is a certainty about our future. Paul goes on to say, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus. Notice where true unity comes from. It comes as we are all following Christ Jesus. It's the reason why our mission statement here at Shepherd of the Desert is leading people to follow Jesus. As we follow Him together, it unites us as one around a common mission that we might lead others to know Jesus as our Savior. And then Paul mentions the purpose of all of this. As, he's, as he says, as you follow Christ Jesus so that, here's the purpose, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ultimately, that's what life is all about, friends. It's all about honoring and praising God in everything we do, not only as individuals, but as a church. That as we are united together in the faith, we seek to praise Him in everything we do. And his final statement is this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him 
so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, as we trust in God and through Jesus Christ, we, we experience real joy and real peace, as well as the unity that He gives us in the church. And we overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Our hope in Christ, you see, is the main thing. And keeping the main thing the main thing means constantly returning to the cross of Jesus. That's got to be our centering point. The place where Jesus gave his life for us that we might not only experience forgiveness of our sins, but that we might be empowered to forgive others. It's at the cross, you see, where we not only experience God's grace for us, but we receive the power to be gracious in the way we treat each other. So, when it comes to disputable matters, as Paul calls them, these matters of adiaphra, let's remember these three basic principles. Let's avoid judgment and condescension. Let's practice love and concern for each other's well-being. And let's keep the main thing, the main thing, our hope in Christ Jesus, our Savior. See, it's about no longer living for ourselves, but rather living for God. And so may the power of living for God lead each of us to put love into practice in everything that we do. Amen. And may the peace of God which passes human understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.